0: Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle, it's John Lamoureux. Okay, as I mentioned, the next few weeks, actually for the next little while, we're going to be featuring a a lot of legends, but they're not obvious legends. They're more unsung legends, people who did really interesting things that you may know but aren't household names. And this week's guest is a perfect example. It's Brinsley Schwartz. So Brinsley, early 70s, there's a band called Brinsley Schwartz. He's the guitar player. And Nick Lowe is in this band, as well as, like, Billy Rankin, Ian Gomm. And their sound becomes, well, it popularizes what becomes pub rock. He pushes back on this, understandably so. This song right here, Country Girl, is a good example of what they were all about. Think of, like, a British version of the band, okay? Status Quo is one of these bands. Clover, Dr. Feelgood. Anyway... They have a really nice run, very influential, but eventually, of course, Nick Lowe wants to go solo and do other things. Understandably, he's one of the best there's ever been. Brinsley, at this time, forms the rumor with Graham Parker. Graham Parker, also another legend, and so they go on and have a really good run for a while there, too. Eventually, that dies down. Brinsley actually kind of gets out of music. He starts repairing guitars and stuff. But when This Is 40 takes off, that movie, that sort of reestablishes Graham Parker, the call comes, the band's getting back together, and they're back at it for a while, which is such an interesting story altogether. You're an older guy, it hasn't been a thing for a while, and suddenly it is, and you just start right back up again. Anyway, he recently, Brinsley, put out a solo album called Tangled, and it's another one of my favorite albums of the year. It is just lovely. It is the work of a consummate professional. You know, somebody who has a master, who's a master of their instrument, a master of songwriting, master of their voice. I really, really, really love this album and it is the perfect album for this chaotic, crazy, frustrating time. It is gorgeous. Anyway. I was really wanting to talk to Brinsley about all of this. He doesn't do a lot of interviews. I was telling him, I didn't even know what his speaking voice sounds like. But he's, yet, he's kind of a legend, you know? There's also a really fascinating story about one of the most historically bad gigs ever that happened to Brinsley Schwartz, the band. He's going to tell the story in here, too. Anyway, I hope you hear some things you like. I love these guys. He called me from his home in Winchester, England. All right. Well, for starters, I have to tell you, Brinsley, I went ahead and bought Tangled the other day. And yeah, you bet. And (laughs) there's a reason I did this because so Jay was kind enough to send me the files. And as soon as I heard it, and it's one of those albums that when it's over, I want to start it right back up again. And uh, I was realizing that in this day and age with the world being where what it is today, not only did I really like Tangled, but I almost felt like I needed it. I needed this the sense of calm and peace and beauty that it was bringing to me. And I thought, the I, I may have the files that I can put on my computer, but I want to support this better than that. And I went and bought the CD in my local CD store the other day because I felt like I That's what you do. People don't do that anymore. But I thought, but that's what you do. That's what you used to do when you heard something you liked. Yeah. And so I just thought I want to support Brinsley in this vision of his. Where did this album come from? Because I got to be honest, Brinsley, you're sort of a mysterious figure. I, I, (laughs) you don't, you don't make the rounds very often. I was, I wasn't even sure what your speaking voice sounded like. So what brought this on?
1: Well, to be honest, I I I don't really know that the the best answer that I come up I can come up with is that I've, over the years I've been so I listen to it and sometimes and think, well, where did that come from? Oh. I must have been storing stuff up uh, in inside, and uh, all of a sudden it just so because that's it just came out because that is what happened yeah. I, at some point in the early two thousands. I just could not stop writing songs. People would say something, and I'd go, "Oh, that's a good line," and <laughs> you'd quickly write it down. Uh-huh. Um, and an example of that is a, is a song that's not not been recorded yet, although it happened a long time. I, I used to I, I was working in a guitar store repairing, which is what I've been doing since since nineteen ninety. And uh, the shop manager was talking to this kid who. Who'd um, just done his first gig? I think he was about twelve, I guess, and and a Who fan. Al, uh, the shop manager, Al, happened to say to him, "So uh, the gig went well, then, did it?" And uh, lots of girls. And the kid said, "Oh, girls, yeah," which was what you'd expect from a twelve-year-old. And Al said, oh, one day you'll know that girls exist." Uh-huh. And I quickly wrote down, "Girls exist." And on the way home. <laughs> wrote the entire song actually i had, to, I had t- you know um tissues with me and yes. scribbled yeah. scribbled things on scraps of of receipts and stuff in the car kept stopping yeah. and writing it out and that that just seemed to happen for some reason which i don't know and then more more recently uh you know, there's quite a lot of serious stuff going on in the world and um you just you feel that and the out come the songs yeah. if, if you're lucky I, I, in
0: your case you nailed it and uh I, I have so many favourite songs on this album that I wanted to ask you about One, I think my favourite is You Can't Take It Back mm-hmm.
2: They say it's a good thing wanna spread it around but they're not really sure and it can't be like it was before once it's out Take care, watch what you do. Things have a way of turning nasty on you. Like the hurt that you say, and the bullet that's on it.
0: whole album just has this very pleasant feel to it um it's not forced it's not overly aggressive in any way it's more just a fre- breath of fresh air what's this the, is there a story like the one you just told for you can't take it back
1: you can't take it back is 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 about genetically modified food that's oh, of course
0: uh, of course it is so
1: <laughs> once, because once yeah so once once you release genetically a genetic modification into the food chain you can't retrieve you can't retrieve it it's gone so for instance they have testing fields in this country in in europe Uh, so they test stuff on a on a couple of fields um, and don't grow anything in in between that and the the next field which is growing uh, under enormous normal circumstances and the idea is that it, that will only get taken, that mod, modified part will only get taken um, a very short distance. So what you're saying is that bees only fly 10 yards, so which is obviously true. So once you put a genetically modified plant in the soil and let it grow, a bee or something like a bee will come along and y- use it, and then take it a mile away, which means that your genetic modification of, a, of wheat, for instance, has just gone. You can't take oh. it back. Oh. And it's like, and it's, and so what I'm trying to say is, you know, like the bullet that's on its way, you shoot a bullet, you don't get to say, oh, sorry about that, Yeah, um, I didn't back. mean that. It's 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 gone. And that is what genetic mod- genetically modified food can be like. That you can no longer in this in europe um not anymore in this country because we left but in europe there there isn't um um a soya bean that you can call organically grown because it's all genetically modified yeah. because the genetic modifications have taken over wow and um, and so that's what it's about but um at the same time <laughs> it, I wasn't thinking about, about any of that. I just thought, "Oh, yeah, this is yeah. nice." <laughs> yeah. So the, the 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 ideas come, you know, come and and I. It's a it's a sort of Mexican Mexican style jolly little tune. Yeah. So it the tune and and treatment is opposite to the true. It is it, meaning in, inside. It's it. dangerous, but That's it's a, a, a pretty tune. So, it is. Um, um, but like know what, what, of, you know, everything that's in it is one is one of those. It's just examples of things that, you know, like the hurt you say you just cannot take it back. It's yeah. gone. You should be paying attention to what you're saying.
0: That's true. Another song I really enjoy is "You Drive Me to Drink."
2: And you drive me to drink. Thank
0: Talk about songs that might have a, a what <laughs> we're learning that the stories are not what you might think of. Um, what's the story behind you drive me to drink?
1: That's a made up story. Oh, okay. Um, from, um, I think we've some, all
0: been there and had relationships that, Yeah. you know, yeah, causes, you get, things. you get
1: ideas, ideas for things and you can put your, so you can put yourself into the lyrics or. You know, yeah. gather from your own experiences what things things are like and, um, you, can, you, know, and you can make up stories yeah okay some of them are stories and some of them are not
0: yeah okay I was curious um, a really interesting uh, the last song All Day All Day You Smile Like minute and a half is the song played beautifully, I assume, on a ukulele. It sounds like a or a ukulele, as they say, yeah. whatever. Um, yeah. it's gorgeous, gorgeous. And then the second half is a little rockier, a little more electric, plugged in. Um, how did you decide to do that? Was it two different you couldn't decide which version you liked, or was it always meant to be squished together like that?
1: No, I I I wrote the little song. Uh it's as you can, as you said, it's only got one verse. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the one verse sort of explains that there isn't any more to the song uh-huh. to uh, put in, and th- and that that came from uh, from a, a movie that I uh, call F- Fifty First Dates. Yeah, and that was in that movie. No, that there's a little song that he plays to her. Yeah, it is a little. It's actually a little bit rude. Um, it's a I haven't joke seen that movie before. in a long time. I forgot all about yeah. this. So I so I I love the movie. It, uh-huh. It's so feel good, uh, and the end is is great and such a great place to end the movie in the Arctic or the Antarctic. Yeah, uh-huh. you know, she she wakes up and pulls the curtains, and there are mountains and ocean all around us. So I I just recorded it with ukulele, and it was always going to be recorded with ukulele. And every time I listened back to after I'd done it, every time I listened back to it. There was a sort of little bit of a gap, and then I and then I could hear this chord play, uh, and so I picked up one day in the studio. I just said, like, okay, what is that chord? I Picked up the the guitar and played the chord. James said, "What's that?" Uh, James Hallowell and uh-huh. said What's that, and I said, "Yeah, it just seems like this this chord this leads somewhere," and so I followed it musically, and um, it's kind of it's kind of like a bit from yeah. Abbey. Abbey Road, you know, the Beatles album. Yeah, um, it's it's you know the idea of putting two completely different things, although the lyrics are the, the same and the, and the tune um, together. So yeah, it was an accident. It, it I never thought that I should do that until I'd done the ukulele bit and yeah. listened back. I thought, oh yeah, there you go. You could do that. That's beautiful. Where have you?
0: I mean, I was kind of touching on this earlier. Brinsley. First of all, have you ever known another Brinsley in your life? I never have. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Really? Yes. Uh, yeah. There was a, a, a an English poet. I think it was a poet called Brinsley Sheridan. Okay. From a long a long time ago. And uh, uh, Brinsley Ford, who's who was a reggae guitar player. Ooh. I believe he was a guitar player. Uh, okay. Played in reggae. Aswad, he played in.
0: Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. Wow. Okay. I have some questions about reggae for you that are going to come up in a little bit here. So where have you, where have you been? I mean, okay, let's, (laughs) let's work backwards a little bit, because like I said, you're a little bit this mysterious figure, but you're a legend. And then I'm guessing when the, this is 40 moment happens for Graham and the rumor get back together and you're back, you're Graham was on here last year. And we talked about this period and he's, he's the best. And what is kind of That must have just been a shock to you, out of nowhere. You've probably been working in the guitar, you know, fix-it shop, and now you're going to go back and tour the world because a movie featured you that's being seen everywhere.
1: Yeah, well, it was a, it was a shock. Um, I, I guess it was a shock for everybody, uh, all of the band. But um, uh, so what? Ha- what actually happened to me was I was doing up um, a bedroom in the house. And I'd been to Ikea and bought a shed load of Ikea bedroom cupboards. I'd been there for hours, sorting things. so you can almost live in Ikea. You can. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I'd been there for hours. I was really tired. I just carried everything into the house and dumped it down, put the kettle on, made a cup of tea, and cut a piece of fruit cake. I sat down. I raised a piece of fruitcake to my mouth it was in my mouth i was about to to uh, bite on it and the telephone rang and i thought oh jesus <laughs> so I, picked, I picked up the phone and in true basil faulty style said what <laughs> and that and that was graham oh. <laughs> phoning to say that we were going to do it all again yeah. So the and the other part was me is is one of the reasons that I stopped was because I couldn't physically in 1989 I failed to be able to get on a plane. There was a thing about you remember the black and yellow tape that they put across um when you go down the sh- the chute. I forget what that's called the gangplank to an air to a plane. Yeah, there used to be a black and yellow tape across the uh, on the floor, and I was just walking up, I wasn't. I wasn't worried. I wasn't thinking about anything. So I was just walking up. And I got to the tape and couldn't put my foot across it. And after trying for about 15 minutes, the various ways of trying to get myself to, to do that, our keyboard player, who was always last, came up behind me and said, "Brends thanks for waiting for me and pushed me over the tape. And from then on, I had to have somebody push me push across really? this tape.
0: Yeah, now, I saw. I thought I saw. on getting ready to talk to you. An illusion about this, but I didn't. I haven't heard about it. I don't know the specifics. So for decades, you were unable to fly because you started yeah. having these kind of panic attacks.
1: Yeah, well, although it didn't. It didn't feel like a panic attack. I just couldn't put, walk across the tape, and people would put me across. And I, I and I flew twice after that, and then I didn't fly again. I I stopped playing. I was full-time repairing, six days a week, really busy and doing other stuff. Graham took a bit of time off, I think, and then did some, you know, did some stuff by himself. Yeah. And uh, and I, I, I'd I'd sort of retired really. Wow. Until until in 2010, he phoned up. And the first thing he said was, Now I know I know that you're not gonna be able to do this because you don't want to fly. And I had already Turned down the, the the first release of the documentary, Don't Ask Me Questions, uh-huh. had been shown. And the band played um, without, without me because I wouldn't go in, in New York, uh, did a little gig. And uh, so Graham said, I know you're not going to be able to do this, but we'd really liked you to, and so we're going to ask. And I heard myself saying, yeah, great, why not? <laughs> great, I'm in. And he was, he was surprised and um, we talked about it for uh, you know 10 minutes or something and he said, okay, I'll be in touch with the dates and everything and I'll send you some tracks and put the phone down. And I sat back and thought, shit, I've just said <laughs> that I'll get on an aeroplane. And, of course, whether, so Martin, who's been not had a good time flying all his life but still doing it. I never had a problem until work. You know, there were a couple of incidences that you think, Oh, that should shake you up a bit. But, uh-huh. but I, I'd been fine. So he, he said, it's all right. I'll, you know, we'll go together and I'll make, I'll make sure you're all right. And and when it came to it, it turned out that I was all right and he was, he was oh, not. Wow. <laughs> so um, what what happened the first, the first flight we took was we, it was British Airways and we, we went to Heathrow, Heathrow Terminal Five, which is a very calming place. And we wa- we walked up to do the you know, the check-in and everything. And the guy the guy took on passports and everything. I said, "I'm sorry to tell you, but your your flight is delayed." And Martin sort of huffed and puffed a bit. And I said, "Oh, why is that?" He said, "Because the plane's broken, but we're getting but we're getting another one." So I and I said, "And that one's going to be okay." <laughs> and he said, "He looked at me." <laughs> not not expecting that, and said, uh, yeah, everything will be fine. It will be about two hours. And um, so I asked my doctor for something to calm me down, and Uh she refused. and said, just drink a couple of glasses of red wine. You'll be fine. So I had drunk my two glasses of red wine Uh by this point and was feeling quite merry about the whole thing. (laughs) And uh, uh, Martin, who did actually have something to uh, calm Uh him down, had already taken it, and it had started to take effect. Uh, at which point he uh, was sort of stumbling a bit and and uh, not really together. And uh, so I I ended up helping him onto, wow. onto the to push plane. him
0: across the yellow
2: strip.
1: Yeah, well, no, he 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 was always he was always fine. He always overcame it, whatever it was. Wow. Um, but you
2: know,
1: yeah. it it does build up. In, oh, I, in yeah fly fly a lot you think it's okay and then something happens on a on a flight which you might not remember um straight away afterwards but at some point comes back to haunt you just a little bit and then they they build up one by one i've had some very odd experiences on airplanes i believe
0: it i believe it my dad uh was a flight attendant my entire life and so i grew up right flying anywhere and everywhere i ever wanted to go i mean it was just part of life just about every week we went somewhere so i never had that fear and i also never had too scary of uh, of experiences but there would be once in a while moments when you know a takeoff would feel different or particularly you know shaky or or dramatic and you think
1: wait we we, yeah. we took off from which i remember one we took off from denmark in a 747 a long time this was in the 70s and um it was absolutely packed packed with people loads of screaming kids running all over the place baggage ev- everywhere it was packed and 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 the nightmare we it was the day after the last gig of the tour mm. uh and we'd celebrated so it got off early in the mornings and nobody was feeling wonderful and um and I can remember I was sitting right at the back, and the the plane took off, and I can remember looking up the plane, thinking, "Oh, God, that's a bit of a steep climb." And then there was an almighty great bang and a flash. You know, people were screaming, grabbing things. You know, oh. I, I, I went a bit white knuckled on the chair and thought, "Whoa!" About five minutes later, the captain came on us and did his announcement. His English captain, and. Um, Gave his announcements, and and he didn't mention the bang and the flash. <laughs> just talked about just talked about the fact that it was quite warm in in London, and uh, it'd be about an hour and a half, and everything was fine. And um, no cause for alarm. And then he came, I guess he came back on and said, "Oh, and by the way, uh, you might have heard a bang and seen a flash of lightning." Uh, a f- flash that was lightning. We got hit by lightning, but that's nothing to worry about. <laughs> and everyone was said, "Well, it might be nothing to worry about for you, but I <laughs> scared shitless." Yeah. Whoa. Um, <laughs> yeah, got hit by lightning, and and of course a plane is a is a Faraday cage, so it yeah. is. Unless it takes out the engines, you know, then wow. then you you're okay. That's but, wild. But yeah. so those sort of things every now and then. Those sort of things happened and yeah. uh well you got through that, uh, it. yeah wild okay uh, so let's and uh, oh, again, uh, you know the last bout of flying and touring i i enjoyed i, I had always enjoyed so
0: anyway good yeah. okay so you're back to normal now um okay let's go back to the beginning because when i listened to the early first of all what how did you manage to talk them into naming the
1: band after you I, I didn't it was the other way around they had to talk me into yeah well, wh- how, how did that ha- why
0: did anyone think that was a good idea could they not think of it a- well that was that we were a
1: four piece then Nick Nick Lowe Bob Andrews Billy Rankin and myself and um, we'd we'd um, we'd made records as Kevington Lodge uh-huh. five five singles fun stuff and, First invasion. yeah
2: because <laughs> Girl he's always known, lives just across the road, she thinks he's soon. It's evening class is never done. But in the farm he works amongst the small time clerks, the new girls
1: in typing. Yep. And we had a, a manager, Um and slowly we realised that the manager was not um not not doing the right stuff. A big. Be kind, kind to him, and that the record deal was over. We were we had a deal for five album uh, singles, and that was over. And uh, we were we were changing. You know, it was it was a change, wow. changing time. Stuff happened really quickly, so we try. You know, we tried to move along and become a rock band instead of a pop band. I guess we were we were just in changing mode, yeah. and everybody said we all said, god oh, we've got to change the name." So. The idea, you know, the democratic idea was we'd all write down our suggestions on a bit of paper and then put them into a hat and uh, vote on them as they came round. And uh, we were going to do that in the flat, uh, Bob and Nick's flat. So we went round and, uh, you know, just talking away. And I said, well, are we going to do this? And Nick said, "Uh, well, actually, uh, there's no need because we've decided and I said, "Well, I thought we were going to have a vote." He said, "Yeah, but we've had a vote. The three of us agree, so it doesn't matter what you you say, because it's we've three of us are for this this name change." So I said, "What oh. name change?" And they and they said, uh, "Well, we're going to call it the Brinsley Schwartz Band." <laughs> to which I said, "No, no, you can't <laughs> do that." And uh, obviously they could, um, and wow. and did. Wow! So not not my idea, their their idea.
0: Okay. I've always wondered what the story was with that. So when you go back, when I listen back to the early days, of, and I should preface here, I'm fairly new to Brinsley Schwartz. As I've gotten older and become a bigger fan of Nick and Graham, I just saw Nick in concert a couple months ago, actually, again. Then I've started to go back and listen. So it's been about the last 10 years or so. When I go back and listen, I hear a huge influence of the band. And I've always heard that as sort of this Americana, almost country-ish sound. I didn't realize until getting ready to talk to you that they were an influence on you, too. But when I get ready to talk to you, I find this clip on YouTube of you guys performing Ballad of a Has-Been Beauty Queen in 1970 on some TV show. And it's like 11 minutes long. And it's 11 minutes of just outright psych rock. And I'm thinking who I thought I knew this band and I don't understand them at all. And then I see another clip on there, 1973. You guys are on there before on something performing Surrender to the Rhythm. Everyone has short punky haircuts. Nick's the front man now. And he and it's you know, power pop in little three, three and a half minute slabs.
3: And just about midnight, they decided to call it a day. Now there's one thing that is left here on their mind, yeah, 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 to get a little slice at any price, yeah. to store the shoes and rice and surrender to the river man A princess. A to fit right his
0: and I just think, how does this who is this band? What are they trying to accomplish? So maybe you could tell me. Is the band the band band with Robbie Robertson really as big an influence? And then what co- what sparked all the changes?
1: Well, I think I think the influence you have one of the things you have to remember is that. In England at that time, um, music from America, except for pop music, so everything in England was pop music. Mm -hmm. There were no West Coast bands or blues bands. The Cream were a pop band Mm -hmm. to everybody. It was – that's all there was. And the only place you could hear that, listen to modern music, modern music then, was on the BBC Mm – And it was all very tame and uh, unadventurous until the pirate radio stations got together. So we heard things late and had to work hard to to find alternative music. You you know, you had to spend time in a record shop store and listen to things and listen to things that other people were listening to as well to, to find stuff. And so the most exciting thing that that was going on was Motown <laughs> really that you know that was that was a, an up in level of technique and and, and ability uh, yeah. for, for a lot of people. So we just we just changed as we as we heard things. So at some point the, and the band were a huge influence not not only musically but in the apparent, Lack of striving for fame. Mm. We the thing that we the, the thing we did in New York at the film war in early 1970 um, affected us quite quite hugely and our desire to be famous um, went out the window. What we wanted to be was good. Yeah. So we did everything that we could to listen to everything that we could to try to become a better band so the band obviously were you know, pretty much at the top of the ring when you come to yeah. wanting to listen to a great band the band that started that off was van morrison and his band who we supported at the film war on those two gigs we were uh nick bob and i had only just arrived uh, when we played the first show we'd been in the place about 10 minutes because mm-hmm. uh, of the the mess that went on beforehand. So after we'd finished, we were all wasted. Nick mm-hmm. Nick went out and then came back and said, "You've got to come down and listen to this," and and that was our first taste of Van Morrison and his and his band. That's sort of like yeah. the Astral Weeks, Moondots yeah, oh, band. Oh, so um, seriously, unbelievably good. Yeah. And uh, that was the beginning of it. So we had four shows. We listened to. Van Morrison four times, mm-hmm. and then went home. Received our shocking press for the fiasco that had that had gone on, and uh, decided that what we needed to do was get a house together and play. Yeah. So we yeah. we rented a big old house, uh, made a made a a rehearsal room, and uh, played twelve hours a day. Yeah. And sometimes we would play. So one of the things we we found that was really good for knitting knitting ourselves together was James Brown. So we would play James Brown licks for for like two hours, the same thing, over and over and over again, a little lick, which is which is kind of what, what the band did. We love that there's a, a live um James Brown band where they're going along, they've been going on for about four minutes on the same thing with him, James Brown going, oh may funky. Oh, like that. And the guitar player Wonders from the riff that he's playing by two notes. And James Brown says, Hey man, be cool. <laughs> and you know that he's talking to the guitar player who he just fined $20 for stepping out of line. <laughs> uh, uh, but we, that's yes. what we that's what we did. And so the, the 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 last thing that the band did for us was was uh, Robbie Robinson did an interview in the in the Melody Maker and uh, the guy asked him really tedious, boring questions. But the one question that he asked asked him that was really good was, what did the band listen to? Mm. And Robin Roberts sen- said Lee Dorsey. Ooh. And do you
0: know who Lee Dorsey is? I know that name. That's more jazz, isn't it?
1: No, no. Lee, Lee Dorsey was uh, – he's from New Orleans – and oh so right! He, yes, he played these. He he had these sort of funky little working in a coal mine and.
0: Yes, that's right.
1: Yeah, um, f- you know from the from New Orleans, mm-hmm. uh, the Meters, mm-hmm. and um Alan Toussaint, yep. um, and we thought, well, Lee Dorsey that he he's had he had that hit. Why why are they why are they listen to him so much? So we we called up our record. We had one guy in the record company who was on our side. Uh, we we cool. just said everything by lee dorsey and anything <laughs> to do with lee dorsey please and 3 days later we got a stack of stuff that included professor longhair uh, Alan T. saint the meters uh, where them. we first uh, heard ukichipi ukichipa that meters to all of that stuff and and of course in the first thing we did we listened to one album and then all went into the rehearsal room and said right <laughs> let's play that one. and you know that's we and that's how we sort of kept kept Got ourselves it. going, kept changing.
0: Yeah, isn't that's, it interesting? And this is true. This has been true in a lot of ways for decades. That the bands that are making what is really uh, traditionally American sounding music are a band from Canada and a band from the UK, and that's just true. That's just happens to have been true for a long time. I mean you guys doing our version of the blues, we doing it, you guys do it better than we do it. And yet it's an organically American, you know, uh, pastime or whatever. It's just fascinating to me that you guys are better at these things than we are. Um, so so I don't
1: think I, I, I'm, you know, I don't, I don't think better is, is the right way.
0: But yeah, you're probably right.
1: Well, so so if you take take that a little bit further than blues and and talk about um, blues and well, I suppose you call it fusion, it, You know, you guys have people like Robin Ford and Larry Colton. Yeah. That, you know, that there aren't any well known. I know a couple of guitar players because I used to work in a guitar sh- guitar store, so I uh-huh. I I heard guitar players all day long. Uh-huh. Uh So I know there's a couple of but but Robin Ford is. Yeah. <laughs> He's just seriously on another plane, really, than yeah. most. Could. And but the the other thing about that that question is the effect of the Beatles. The, so the Beatles were English, and nobody in America touched that.
0: No, they didn't. You're right.
1: And You're and I, I a little while ago, well, when, while we were touring, so six seven years ago, um, we we had a discussion and. And um I decided that I would ask uh, what's the Chuck Berry song? I can't remember the Chuck Berry song now. We're going we're talking, it's not back in the air, so it's uh, oh roll over Beethoven. Oh sure. Uh-huh. So so if you heard Chuck Berry's version of Rollover Beethoven and the Beatles version of Rollover Beethoven, which would you prefer? That's true. Good point. Good if, point. An American yeah. would say Chuck Berry and an yeah. Englishman would say the Beatles. Yeah, you're and probably right. Yeah.
0: yeah, it doesn't uh, go they across made, the
1: board. They were kind of made the, they were the exceptional big difference.
0: Yeah, good point. Um, I wanted to ask you, uh, why don't we have Patreon supporters, and I throw it out there when I tell them, I tell them who I'm going to be interviewing, and they can send over questions if they want. One of them in particular, Stephen Shaw, it's funny, he's a huge Huey Lewis fan. And so a lot of, <laughs> if, if someone's coming on the show and has anything to do with Huey, he wants to hear about it. Now, you guys, obviously, Clover is another one of these bands that reminds me a lot of Brinsley Schwartz. Kind of a similar time frame, almost a similar change in sound over time. Starts out sounding very much like a country-ish, um, a band-type band, and eventually becomes more short power pop songs. Did you ever have any interactions with Huey? I'm guessing you did.
1: Yeah, well, they, they toured with us. That's what I thought. In, in, in the UK and um, you know we 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 all hung out um around then used to watch I so I I used to try to go and see bands that we were either supporting or, or who were supporting us uh-huh. ev- every night. So yeah and you absorb people's yeah. uh, music. I could the worst <laughs> the worst thing about Huey Lewis is after he'd, after he'd become very big, he asked Graham if Graham would like to support him on a major tour, uh, and Graham said no, <laughs> um, and that was that. That seemed to you know, run in in our family. Elton John asked the Brinsleys if we'd like to go and support him in the States, because we'd asked El- for Elton John to support us uh-huh. in in the UK when he was just a guy who sing songs and played piano. Yeah, and uh, we thought he was quite good, and he could play our piano, which meant we didn't have a, a band's gear to clear off. It made everything really easy, mm-hmm. and uh, he, you know, he was a a nice guy, and we all got on. So. When we were asked um, if if we wanted anyone in particular, and in London, we'd always say him, uh-huh. and uh, I think he appreciated that. And so when he went to the States to on his first major tour, he phoned us up and said, uh, "Look, I'm I'm over here about to start. Do you guys want to come and support me?" He'd be third third on the bill, and we talked about it and said and thought, "Nah." What? <laughs> what do we want to do that for? So, so we what? said no. <laughs> We've got better um, things
0: to do than open for Elton John in uh, the States, apparently.
1: Yeah. Well, we had, there were, we had reasons for it, but you okay. know, in r- retrospect, they were not very good.
0: Yeah. Speaking of which I should, I, uh, I think you touched on this earlier. There's this, uh, you were kind of alluding to this, the hype of famous, concert gone wrong or experience gone wrong tell us the hype story
1: it's a long long story Um, I'll
0: I'll
1: i'll try to be truncated okay so um to start with the reason for it was that that in those days if you had to have money to pay to get on a tour to do anything but really little gigs you know, in the country, anything major was uh, supporting a band that was big and touring, and you had to pay uh, to get on those. And we didn't have the money, so the other way you got yourself up the ladder at all was to do something extraordinary. And the the common one was to get a gig at speakeasy and invite all the press round and stuff like that Um, but we wanted to do something a little bit special to get the attention Mm. so uh, our manager Dave Robinson he he had a management company which was basically him and there were there were sort of half a dozen other little companies that did various things uh, all based around a central financial whiz person so we threw that idea out to everybody everybody else there was another band called Help Yourself who were in the um, umbrella, there was uh, Forbidden Fruit. Who, who did uh, clothes in Kens- Kensington? Mm. Barney Bubbles, who turned ended up. Uh, he was a, an artist. Did album covers, and uh, ended up doing famous album covers. And so we threw out the idea. We want to do something special. Anybody got any ideas? And th- one idea was to do a show called the Ballad of a Has Been Beauty Queen Show. Mm. And the other really good idea was, why don't we get a gig, a prestigious gig in America, and fly the world's pre- music press to see us play? And uh, that's the one that um, took hold. Uh, it needed uh, a publishing money from a publishing deal and from a record deal. The record company wouldn't come on board unless we did the the deal. The that the, the sh- the show, unless it all came together, so it was like a vicious circle. And once it got out there, we had to, we were tied in mm-hmm. to doing it. So we made the album. So Friday, one Friday afternoon, Dave Robinson phones up Bill Graham and says, uh, introduces himself. I've got a, a band. Um, we want to do a gig at uh, one of your your film wars, and uh, we're going to fly the world music press in to see us and Bill Graham obviously thought okay here's a barking mad Irishman on the phone and said uh, okay well send me the tape and I'll give it a listen so Monday morning Bill Graham comes into his office and Dave Robinson is sitting there and and Bill Graham says uh, can I help you and I think Dave says well I called you Friday Uh, you said you wanted to hear my band's tapes here they are (laughs) <laughs> Bill Graham looked at him and said, I, like, I don't need it. You. you got the gig. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> so that's how that's how we got it. So things that went wrong were the plane that we hired to fly the world's music press from Heathrow to New York broke down when it took off from Ireland to come to Heathrow, got fixed at Heathrow, but broke down as it took off flew to Shannon airport where it broke down and then finally took off and made it to New York it was an 18 hour plus flight and involved places where there are only two things to do one was to sleep and the other one was to drink That's whiskey right. <laughs> <laughs> so by the time they got there they were not in the in the yeah. best way what happened to us? Uh, Billy, our drummer, was dual passport. He was American and, and English on, on his passports. So on the, we were supposed to go the, at the beginning of the week. We had gigs on Friday and Saturday, two shows a night, Friday and Saturday. And um, we were supposed to fly out on Monday. And Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday, we had the film all booked to rehearse and get ourselves together. So mm-hmm. Billy flew anyway because he was there. The three of us were in those days. You had to have a musicians' union back backed uh, swap. Mm-hmm. Our swap band for for that was uh, Love. Oh, and, uh, interesting. Yeah, and a week before it was supposed to happen, they cancelled because uh, Arthur, what's his name, Arthur, Arthur Lee. Lee, Arthur, Arthur Lee. Lee, yeah. Um he got laryngitis. Oh. And so he couldn't so it was all cancelled. So on that Monday morning when we went to to the American Embassy in London and applied for our visas, uh, we didn't get them because uh our th- love had pulled out, so we had uh-huh. no WAP band. So um we left and said, Okay, well that's not <laughs> That's not good news, Dave said. It's okay. We'll fly to Toronto, and apply for there. And they went there. No, there's anything wrong, so uh, we'll just do that. So we said, oh, "Okay, cool." So we get on the pl- get on the plane to to Canada. We- we're allowed in for 24 hours, as uh, just in transit. And the next morning, we go down to the American Embassy in Toronto. And apply for the visas. And there's a question on the visa form that says, "Have you ever applied for and been refused a visa to the United States of America before?" So I can remember looking at that and thought, "Why? Well, yes, that was yesterday. Yesterday, <laughs> what do we what do we do with this question, Dave? And he said, "Just answer. Just say no, uh-huh. and don't worry about it." So we all said no, and we we gave our form stack of forms and passports in to this guy who was. The epitome of a United States legal legal person, he was he was true truly American and proud to be. You know, right? um, He didn't like us because we had long hair. Uh You could tell he didn't like us much. So he said, uh, "Okay, come back at three o'clock." So three o'clock, we go back. We get called up, and uh, he, he picks up the three stacks of papers. And says uh, something like, uh, "You guys think uh, you guys think you could just walk over us? I've got a million dollars worth of computer back there that tells me that you were refused a visa to the US of A yesterday in London. You want to go to the? And this is this is pretty much what he said. You want to go? You guys want to go to the US of A? No chance. <laughs> <laughs> and chucked our papers across at us. And we went, oh, oh dear." <laughs> so we went back to the ho- hotel. Dave started making phone calls and not uh, short of, So we stayed in our hotel for those three days. We ate burgers, watched Star Trek and uh-huh. got a little got a little out of it. <laughs> what else well, are you Dave, do when're you in America? Dave went yeah, Dave went off and and uh, and wheeled and dealed. So on the Friday, uh, just before lunch, we turned up at the ESA uh, embassy again, uh, filled all our forms out, put yes <laughs> on that, uh, that offending question, hand them in, and the guy, it was the same guy, oh. and he he—he—he he was pissed
0: uh-huh.
1: you know, We because he'd got the word from on high yeah. that we were yeah. to be allowed, so something Let had changed sort of. with a senator or something and uh-huh. and we, we were okay and at about two minutes to one our numbers got called our papers were sitting in a pile just in front of him just inside underneath the glass thing and uh, uh-huh. he said uh, he said you want to come back at two o'clock your papers will be ready so what he did was he in that two minutes before one o'clock he could have just slid those over to us and said you're on your way but yeah. he didn't he waited until two o'clock. He went to lunch. is what he did. But waited until two o'clock because he did not like us anyway. Uh-huh. He gave them to us at two o'clock, and in between one o'clock and two o'clock, there was a ground crew strike on the in the entire East Coast of America. Oh. So there were no flights in, and so this is this is two o'clock, and we're uh-huh. on stage at seven. Oh, five hours to get there. So um, uh, we rent a, a little Piper flown oh. by a, uh, a Canadian Japanese guy who get the feeling that he was still hunkering off <laughs> <laughs> Threw that thing around the sky, you know. Uh, and we landed in in uh, I think in Queens on a strip of grass. I you know, I, I can't remember. There were three huge, great Cadillacs limousines waiting for us one each mm-hmm. and I got in mine uh the radio was playing the driver handed me a joint and drove me to to the Fillmore uh-huh. uh, and in that that took about half an hour and in that time well it's a bit longer than half an hour in that time there was half an hour of the best music and Hendrix, Dylan, yeah. all of People that you couldn't hear in England for any, anything, you couldn't find it in England. Um, and at the end of the half hour, he didn't say a word in between. just played track after track, and then after he he said, "Okay, you just heard," and then listed them, and uh-huh. then said, "And now, and now this," and played another half hour. Of, oh, <laughs> nice! And we so we remembered we remembered that and thought, yeah, okay. So no wonder, <laughs> no wonder it's difficult yeah. in, in England. But it's, anyway. So that's what happened to us. We arrived. Uh-huh. What happened to Billy was that he got to, his, he got to America on the, on the Tuesday. Same deal, limo. Take to a hotel. The guy said, here's my room number. You want to do anything at any time, I'm yours. He'd just call uh-huh. me up at any time, day, night, and we'll do whatever you, you fancy doing. So after about half an hour in his hotel, Billy's bored. So he calls up the driver and says, okay, I need to go out. I'll, I'll go to sleep and I don't feel wonderful. So maybe you yeah. can have a drink or something. So the driver says, okay, meet me downstairs outside the front in 10 minutes. I'll go get the car. Uh-huh. So Bill is standing outside the hotel and a while the girl goes, go, goes get the car and there's a guy standing next to him about, about a yard and a half, two yards away from him. Suddenly a big black car pulls up. A bunch of people jump out, run up to this guy and knife him mm. in the in stomach and rip his stomach open oh. <laughs> right next to right next to Billy, who then goes back to his room and doesn't come out again for, <laughs> <laughs> for three days waiting oh. for us to, to get there. So what happens to the press is that they arrive late. Now, th- we bought the first three. R- rows of seats for our people for the press
4: uh-huh.
1: and they were allowed to bring in cameras which wasn't was against the rule but they yeah. they let us uh do that but once once the front three rows were full then that meant that all of our people were in no more cameras but our people were crashing into things on the way to the film wall from <laughs> from uh from the airport and uh, not some of them not arriving, uh, not not making it at all, and they were late. So by the time they got there, the front three rows are full. The bouncers said, "Okay, the Princess people are in, so no more cameras, everything." So, so you know, top class, <laughs> new, uh, you know, the Sunday Times photographer and people, you know, yeah. people from the press everywhere, serious press people. They were having their cameras smashed and turned away. Half of them were were out of it in any case. And that's the condition that they were in when they got to see us walk on stage and say, hi everyone. Here we go and play our little songs. What a mess. Yeah, a complete mess. It, you couldn't if you you couldn't write the book, really, no you could the book. Spinal tap is nothing compared yes. to what happened to us. Oh, my gosh.
0: <laughs> Everything that could go wrong goes wrong.
1: Yeah. Jeez. But but we saw Van Morrison and his band, learnt the lesson, went home, got a house, and played James Brown. There you, Brown go. L- there you go. And that's what For leads to it.
0: Okay. Okay. Uh, just a few more questions. I love that story. Um, when I had Graham on here, we were talking about the pub rock moniker, and he really rails against this. He's... Is like, I've always hated that. No one knows what it is. No one wants to, because they don't know, they don't, I'm going to go out and listen to some pub rock. I'm going to go to a pub rock concert. They don't know what that means. And he's always sort of, he doesn't like punk either. He just wants, he doesn't like any of those labels that he's often given. You uh and your band, namesake band, are often considered sort of, you guys and Dr. Feelgood are like ground zero for this pub rock you know movement or whatever do you feel like graham do you have the same reservations like don't give me these labels that no one knows what they are yeah so
1: after that adventure we we came Mm -hmm. back to 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 england we made a second album and we and we did some gigs some better much better gigs than we'd had before um but we did that so it paid off it in a way um to to an extent, um, but we got we didn't find that playing in in the uh, universities and big halls suited. Yeah. the more I, I suppose you got a down home attitude wow. that of just playing music, and so we were searching around for something to do. And Dave happened to see an American band called Exover Easy mm. at, at a pub in North London called the Tally Ho, and said. So, he thought that was a good uh, idea, and we all went down the next weekend to watch the band and said, "Yeah, let's do that." So Natalie Ho was the only pub that did have music at that point. So Dave and I went round all the pubs we could think of that we could we thought might do this. and in the end, we we our deal was we'll play for nothing. And if it makes money, that that's then you'll have to pay us. Yeah. And yeah. so they all said, "Yeah, okay, no harm done." If you you know, so and of course, what happened in that that uh, that was uh, summertime. What, what happened was we we were playing the places were packed outside. The places were packed. It yeah. just took off. It wasn't called pub rock. It was just us playing mm-hmm. the music that we wanted to play in pub in pubs because we enjoyed being right by the audience. So people used to get up and sing with us. Frankie Miller used to get up and sing Wild Night and Ain't Too Proud of Beg and stuff like that. We just played Motown, uh, pop music, you know, anything that we we wanted to play, we we could play. It was it was great. And then, so Ducks Deluxe uh, were the next band to to follow in, bands followed in. And then the press saw that happening and called it Pub Rock. Yeah. And as soon as we read Pub Rock in a thing with our name underneath it, uh-huh. we said, right, that's the end of that then. We've got to <laughs> have to find something else to do. Cause uh, that that, you know, we just were not into that. But it, it stuck and I can't I can't, I don't know how Nick and Bob uh, get on but i i can't get rid of it I, yeah. yeah it'll it'll always be there but what pub rock is is any music that any band or performer wants to play in a pub in a pub right that's a, that's the that's what it is it's music yeah. played by a band in a pub and hopefully the band will be playing what they want to play without any
0: yeah okay that's, i that's, i agree that's with
1: all you. it is. Yeah, That's all all it is, and Graham. So we carried on playing in pubs occasionally um, after I didn't let it didn't stop it altogether. But um, for Graham, the only two pubs that we played in with Graham was Newlands, which is where the rumor had had rehearsed uh, for three months.
4: Okay.
1: Um, before before marrying up with Graham in, and Graham Park of the Rumour. We were just five people. We didn't have a name. We were just five people that enjoyed playing with each other and we just we just learnt songs and 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 played and and they asked us to make the first album with Graham and that's how Graham Park of the Rumour came up. We played oh. Newland and one other pub in East London, which I don't remember what it was called, but there were four people there and a dog. Uh, as as we as we did a couple of gigs before going on tour right and i think the first tour was with ace
0: okay okay that makes sense uh I, another kind of an oddity on your resume that i um but i really love it is the desmond decker album black and decker that you the rumor or his backing band And I'm wondering if this has more to do with... I get the feeling that you guys were sort of just the Stiff Records house band, not just. But, uh, you know, there's Rachel Sweet in there. A lot of bands that were on the Stiff label, if they needed people to play on their albums, you guys came in and did it, and Desmond Decker was one of those people. Is that right?
1: Desmond Decker was the only thing that the band as a whole did. Oh, okay. I I played on one track on on a Rachel Sweet Album. I played on a couple of tracks with people. Sometimes I, I was asked in to play sax. Yeah. Uh, did you did play with, more than I guitar? Did you Pardon? play with Al Stewart somewhere too? Um, Bob and I did. Uh, we're on us on a recording session. Okay. Which was which was not my favorite time mm. <laughs> at the time. Um, but yeah, we did one song.
0: Okay. I believe. Okay.
1: Yeah, so tell me about Desmond. Uh, but, but but the rumor we're not not really a house band except for we we played. I, th- I thought we just played four tracks on that, uh, oh, on that album in okay. one afternoon. Um, what I remember of it, apart from apart from that, it was great, it was great to be in a room with Desmond Decker. Yeah.
4: Um,
1: but what I remember about it, so I so I was by that time, I was into Steely Dan. I'd I'd gotten into Makes Steely sense. Dan. Course. so i I'd, I'd sort of picked up some of their more simple Steely Dan chord voicings and stuff and uh, we were we were playing this song and I saw an opportunity where I thought, oh that'd be great with that flat ninth if <laughs> whatever <laughs> uh, in there so I played it Desmond stopped stopped it straight straight away just stopped everybody straight away and said pointed at me and said that not righteous man <laughs> you, you have to be righteous." so and i saw so i knew exactly what he meant and said okay sorry yeah. and we went and i just played a straight chord and he was he was fine, he was fine yeah, after that yeah steely dan's not righteous according to this Des- <laughs> that
0: is classic yeah. um okay lastly i wanted to again one of our patreon supporters is philip hopwood and to be honest he sends he's a huge fan of yours and lists all these songs that he likes and and albums and things you played on some deep stuff too and we don't even have time to get to all of it but um, he was curious what your favorite artistic collaboration has been and he gives a shout out to many of your songs but one of the ones that Frozen Years that the rumor did without Graham when you guys were kind of doing your own thing such a great song compilation album out there and there's a great brinsley schwartz compilation out there out uh, that i wanted to bring attention to for people who are like you know i've heard of these bands i don't know that much about them seek out these compilations both of them are on spotify they're fantastic tell me your favorite artistic collaboration go
1: on go i'll think about that while you ask me the next one okay so do you have any
0: carly okay so i wondered about that too now she was married to nick there for a while i'm assuming that's the connection
1: uh, no that was i think she married nick after that uh, we did okay. that album okay uh, and that was the rumor except for martin so i don't remember everything that happened um, back then but apparently martin was not on that hmm. not on that album he was doing something else
0: why is um, carlene carter your favorite thing
1: Oh I I I just thought it was just good good songs. She's yeah. she's great. You know it's just a, yeah. it was just it was just a good good fun thing. I I'm trying to think of other people I've I've collaborated with. So so James Hallowell, who who played keyboards with Graham and me uh in the 80s. He was on Mona Lisa's sister and he to you know he was in the touring band uh after uh, for for a bit. And so he he's been the person that's held me together in making the, these two, these records I'm making them unexpected and tangled. And the couple of singles he's, he, you know, so he's the, he's the, the favorite collaboration has mm. been him from, from back then, uh, Carlin Carter. Uh, okay.
0: Interesting. He, um, he also, well, he's got lots of stories about ducks deluxe and, and uh the three rumor albums he was also asking specifically about that's the way the ball rolls um is graham singing that song Yeah, as far as I know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What's the story there? I I don't remember. Don't remember. Okay. No. Okay. What was the thinking behind having the rumor do their own thing? Was that um, I mean, were well, you big we,
1: enough that you could do that, or why? Yeah. Well, we got a record deal by our, by by ourselves, separate from our, Graham. Separate from Graham. We so we didn't have a record deal because of of Graham. Oh. Graham's record deal was. For, for Graham, we yeah. were his, his band. Uh, so, but, but, so we got a record deal as the, as the rumor for three albums, which is why we've made three and, uh, we had the songs. Yeah. So we, we had an, an album worth of songs, uh, from, from our original rehearsing playing together in, in Newlands, uh, tavern every, every day. Um, before, before we made, we went on to make the album, um, with you know, with Graham before we became Graham Park of the River, okay. the River we had a dozen odd songs that we'd all we'd written um, between us, and um, were able would have been able to make a record then.
2: Okay.
1: Uh, so when when the, there was a little bit of a break in the stuff that we were doing with Graham, we got to make our own uh, album. That was that was Max.
0: Okay. I like that album a lot. I've had that one for years.
1: Yeah, I, I like that too.
0: Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, look, I mean, there's still so much to cover, but what, what's the plan now? Uh, so, I mean, are you going to, do you get to tour? Do you, um, how does Tangled get to be heard by more people? Uh,
1: well, they can go out and buy it. That would well, be, that's <laughs> that would be the old fashion. yeah. that fashioned way. Yeah. That's the old fashioned way. Yeah. So uh, touring, I, I see people, friends of mine and people yeah, out touring, my my daughter and grandson—I just caught COVID, and they're—they're uh, they're doing okay. Um, Good. So I don't, you know, I don't—I still wear a mask when I go yeah. out. Home. And legally here, you don't have to wear a mask anywhere anymore. So I wear a mask if I go out, outside the house. Yeah, uh, pretty pretty much. Mm-hmm. I, I don't see it as being safe. the the, the figures just went up, doubled. So the 80,000 wow. new infections every day. And there's a new variant um, on, you know, it's just starting up called yeah. Delta Cron. So the idea that it's gone away, because Boris Johnson says it has, just doesn't cut it um, with me, I'm afraid. So I I, I don't know how to do it. I've, I've been out, you know, I I meet people, I've been to pubs and everything. Um, I've been offered a few, a few dates, one uh, some some in Japan even. Mm, um wow. So, I mean, the problem with going to Japan is you fly to Japan and then the day you're supposed to come back, something happens and they put a lockdown and no flights in. Or you have to pay three grand for a test or whatever. Yeah, so you're stuck there. So, yeah, so I've got a single coming out, uh, which is called um, It's Been a Long Year. Which is um it's slow and it's um sad because that's how I feel about Yeah, the world. Well, this long and
0: you, this last year has been slow and sad. So yeah, that
1: makes yeah, sense. Yeah, it's I'm really sad almost every day. Mm. you know I find myself close to tears sometimes while well, watching you know, what what Putin thinks he's up to, I don't know. I like I like the idea of somebody with a special set of skills going over there and sort of sorting would that be out. nice yeah <laughs> yeah that'd be nice um, yeah but um yeah so i find it all you know i find it quite difficult to know uh what so for a start i don't know whether to go to tour by myself I, I practice stuff to try to do that it's not so easy because i'm a guitar player so a lot of people it would it will be expecting me to play guitar but if I, it's just me then I'm not going to be I'm just going to be strumming an acoustic there's a possibility of, uh, of, of doing a duo Martin uh, Belmont has offered nice. uh, to, to do that um, and I could uh, I could get a band together certainly get a band together in on the east coast of America more easily yeah. than I could here I've already played with one band that was you know they, that's what they do they play with people yeah um and uh i did, you know i i've done a couple of gigs just while i was there
0: okay
2: um,
1: so yeah i i i don't know it's it's really hard to See. to know what to do so yeah. i i practice every day um i have a little place where i can make some noise and yeah. so i sing and play and and one of the things i've got to do is i have to learn so i'm i'm the guitar player. Uh, that's what I've been all my life. So I can sing backing vocals, but the idea of fronting a band, having all of that in my head, as well as all of the stuff that I have in my head about guitar playing, yeah. you know, with, with uh, everything that in, entails, it's a different, gu- guitar playing is a different thing. You, sure. you have equipment, sounds, things, yeah. you know. Uh, it's well, all, you've never been the front
0: man before, you know, I you've always been, been one of the most the-, the best side guys ever.
1: Yeah, I have been the front man or partial front man in the ru- the rumor. The Rumour did some gigs oh, in true. in the early eighties, and I uh, so because because I'd written quite a few few songs on the albums, I I, I was the sort of at least half yeah uh, front man. Um, uh, and I seem to remember it was it was good fun, and I enjoyed it. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It, <laughs> t- t- it's hard. It's really hard it is um, to to know where to where to go and it is.
0: Um, well look i uh, i wanted to i mean first of all i wanted to talk to you because you're a legend but secondly i just wanted you to know again how much the new album tangled means to me and um i really love it as i have loved pretty much everything you've ever touched in your career but it's a huge honor for me to talk to you brinsley because like i said it's you're a mysterious guy and, uh, but this beloved figure, and I am grateful that I got to hear your story. Thank you for chatting with me.
1: Thank you. Thank you. That's really nice of you to say all of that well, stuff. So, I mean
0: it. I, I, mean I appreciate
1: it. it. It's the uh, thing that keeps us going. And I
0: believe it, especially in times like this. I'm struggling yeah. in, in a, with a lot of my mental health the same way you are with the way that the world is and has been in our country, well, yours too, but country for the last six years has been really rough. And uh, when I can, if I can listen to Tangled and uh, put it all aside for 37 minutes, that is a huge blessing. So. Cool. Thank you. All right. There you have it. Brinsley Schwartz. Guys, I can't stress this enough. I really, really, really love this Tangled album. It's so nice. It's the perfect thing right now. And I want to close it out with another song off of it. This is He Takes Your Breath Away. It's the first track on the album. I just think it's great and in fact i've been on this kick lately where and this this shouldn't be revolutionary and yet it kind of is i i'm lucky to live in a city where there are some really nice music stores and lately every now and then i'll just walk in and buy cds new ones not used not off amazon uh and some in some cases like this one the label or whoever has already sent me the files so i've already heard it But I want to put my money where my mouth is. And so I've been getting off lately on just walking into my local music store, picking something I like, buying it, and walking out and listening to it. It sounds nuts, but I love it. Um, Anyway, next week is our seventh birthday. I always try to play or put out an episode with an especially special guest, you know, a legend of some kind. I say that we pretty much have those every single week. So I don't know if next week's going to be any more special than Brinsley was or anyone else, but that's what's in store next week because it's our birthday. So, of course, huge thanks as always to Jan, the Man makavich my right-hand man, for everything. Thanks for being my partner in this. You guys can find us on Facebook. You can like our page. You can send us a message on there. You can send us an email at hustlepot at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter for now. If Elon Musk buys Twitter and it changes, I'll get off there. I kind of want to get off anyway. But... Um, for now it's at the hustle pod and we should have a bonus book club episode coming out this weekend. That is one of my favorite things that I've done. I love it. I hope you will too. We'll talk to you soon.